Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. As we are leading up through the first quarter of 2015, I am doing something to launch each show, and that is one tip each week for solopreneurs. On April 1st, I will celebrate six years that I've been working for myself, and so we have 20 shows to go between now and then, and I thought it would be fun to lead up to kind of a show in the first week of April, celebrating what it is for me to have been doing this cool entrepreneurial adventure for the last six years. So the first tip is you have to believe you are doing the right thing. You have to constantly be reminding yourself, if you're going to be a solopreneur, you're the boss. You're the one who's making things happen. So you constantly have to be having that positive self-talk with yourself, reminding yourself what your purpose is, what's your why, what caused you to start your own business. If you're not doing it for the right reasons, I can promise you, you're never going to succeed. So tip number one is to believe that you're doing the right thing and then remind yourself of that. So today we are going to talk with an attorney. Now I do a lot of work with lawyers and I used to be the marketing director for a couple of law firms. And what I have found in my association with, with lawyers is that lawyers really are entrepreneurial. Now, a lot of them don't know it. They haven't realized it. But whether you work for a big firm, a mid-sized firm, or a small firm, you really are your own business because large lawyers in large law firms still are responsible for bringing in their own business. And even though they have partners and they have structure, they still live and die based on the business development that they do and the hours that they bill. And of course, when you get down to a smaller firm that's made up of one, two, three, four, even 10 lawyers, everybody is responsible for bringing in those clients. So I've always looked at lawyers as entrepreneurs. And today we're talking to one of my favorite entrepreneurial lawyers, and that is Brian Tannebaum. And he is a criminal defense and ethics lawyer from Florida. And I know him through social media. Because I work with law firms, I follow a lot of the hashtags that have to do with lawyers and law firms and lawyering. And gosh, several years ago, I stumbled upon Brian. And what I have found about him is he doesn't believe in the hype and the hoo-ha of marketing for lawyers. He believes in getting it done and getting your name out there, but that there is no magic bullet for doing it. You just have to do the work. So Brian and I have always gotten along. I had the opportunity in 2014 to have dinner with him when I was in Miami to speak at a conference, and we had a delightful time. And he is also the author of the brand new book, The Practice. The Brutal Truths About Lawyers and Lawyering. So I'm really excited to have Brian here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do to talk about being an entrepreneurial lawyer. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. Happy New Year. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about your background and your legal practice? Well, I'm a native Miamian, and uh, after I attended college and law school, I came back to Miami. I was an assistant public defender and I spent three years there. I then worked for a very small two-person firm for a little while, uh, then became uh, of counsel, more of a shared space arrangement with another small two-person firm. I did that for five years, and then I uh, started a firm with my partner now, Dan Weiss, uh, and we did that in 2002, and we've been doing it since then, and we've been together. We're uh, going on 12 years, and uh, he doesn't do anything that I do, so it makes for a very interesting practice. He does uh, property tax and code enforcement and other kind of property litigation, and of course, I do criminal and ethics work. 
So really, your whole law your whole law career, you've worked either for small firms or you've been out on your own. That's correct. So what made you decide that sort of the the solopreneur slash entrepreneur lawyer was the way to go? Well, when I was in law school, I had uh, let's call it a, a very small internship, a, a part-time job in a, a big law firm. And I was sitting in a beautiful office with a beautiful view, beautiful furniture, and I was bored to tears. And my next internship was at the uh, prosecutor's office for a few months. And I realized at that point that I wanted to be in criminal court uh, representing people or representing the government. And that's when I realized that being in a nice office with a lot of people is not necessarily the best way to go, even though right out of law school, uh, for some, it's a way to make more money. So having worked for small firms and, and now having your own firm for several years, what do you like most about being the boss and kind of running the show yourself? My favorite thing about my practice is that every day is different. Uh, some days I'm in court, some days I'm at meetings, I'm in the office, I'm doing charity work, um, attending conferences. Uh, so I love the fact that every single day is a different part of it. it you know, you're, you're much closer to the business side of a firm when you're in a small firm because you have to be much more aware of what's going on. So what's your take on my theory that lawyers are entrepreneurs? Well, I've always said that law is two things. It's a profession and it's a business. I, I think it's a profession first, but the greatest lawyers are not going to be the greatest lawyers unless they have clients. Now, of course, we have lawyers who work for the government and their clients are either brought to them or they are the government or other you know, entities. So they don't have to bring in business or worry about rent or uh, if there's paper in the copy machine. So I think you know, part of the issue is lawyers need to understand that when you're on your own or even in a law firm, if you're not uh, bringing in clients or helping the firm make money in another way, uh, you're expendable. <laughs> well, and I think over the last 10 or 15 years, that's something that a lot of lawyers discovered where I don't think, especially in big law, I don't think that lawyers ever thought there could have been layoffs. But going back to, you know, the early parts of 2000, some of the biggest firms out there have not only pared back, but a lot of them collapsed and disappeared. Right. And that's been a problem for, you know, the mid-level partners and the associates uh, when firms started tightening up and these lawyers who were just, you know, handed paychecks every two weeks and given work and, and were basically told, look, we'll, we'll give you the work, just do the work. We're, we're coming to the reality of, you know, there's no more work for me and what am I going to do? The firm is, is cutting back and I'm probably going to get laid off and I don't know uh, how to talk to a client who walks in the door. I need to figure out how this all happens from the beginning. Well, and that's the thing, you know, after I left working for law firms, I've always sort of on the side coached lawyers and usually in smaller practices, but sometimes partners in larger, larger firms. And that's one of the things, you know, that you bring up that I have always said is it's a profession and a business. And no lawyer would walk into, you know, their biggest corporate client and say, hey, I have a great idea. Why don't you fire all the sales and marketing people? Because they make a lot of money and, you know, they, they don't have a JD. So, I, you know, I'm not sure if they're that smart. So fire them all. Then get your top executives to do the sales and marketing when they feel like it, if they have time, and regardless of if they've ever been trained to do it. Because people would say, well, that would be stupid advice to give a company. And yet that's the way a lot of law firms run their practice. Right. And I think lawyers, you know, some of them come from this 
world of, well, I just need to practice law and I just need to do a good job. Uh, and, and I often tell lawyers, if you do a good job, uh, you will get clients from that. But I also tell lawyers, you have to do other things. You have to be out there. You have to be doing things in order to bring in business. Because if you're just working on the cases that you have, which is what a lot of you know big law lawyers who wound up getting laid off and realizing, you know, these are not my clients and I don't know how to develop clients. If, if you're in that type of world, you're never going to be able to understand that you got to keep feeding the business in order to keep going because it doesn't matter how good you are if nobody's hiring you. Well, and there's a there's a gentleman named Harvey McKay who wrote several best-selling books, you know, over the last 20 years and one of the books he wrote was about networking and business development for anybody in business. It wasn't for lawyers per se, although it's great advice for attorneys. The title of the book was Dig Your Well Before You're Thirsty. And I always make the joke that the whole book could have been 30 blank pages or 300 blank just white pages with no words because the title of the book really says everything you need to know when it comes to business development and, and creating a practice. And that is you have to do these things long before you need a client. If you wait until the case is done and, you know, the senior partner comes and says, what are you going to do next? And you think, uh-oh, I better go out and develop business. It could take years to develop the type of contacts. Right. And, and you and I see that, you know, one of the examples I give in that realm in the digital world is, you know, LinkedIn seems to be one of the, the homes for the, the middle aged business person who's just getting into social media and they get a LinkedIn account and they start friending everyone they know. And, and they're, you can just, you know, wonder if they're sitting back thinking, OK, what's going to happen next? Uh, wh when am I going to start getting my calls? And in the Harvey McKay example of, of his book, Dig Your Well Before You're Thirsty, that, that's the biggest problem, I think, with people even who are entrepreneurial or into marketing and sales is things start getting good and they disappear. And, and I often get this. I'll go to an event and somebody will say, you know, do you need to come to these things anymore? I mean, people call you and you're, you're getting business. I Absolutely. There are 100,000 lawyers in Florida. I'd like to meet every single one of them. And I, and I haven't done that. And until that happens, and it'll obviously never happen, I, I want to be out there meeting people and finding different ways to get into people's minds and thoughts when they're looking for lawyers who do what I do. Well, and a lot of types of practices, yourself included, get a lot of their business from referrals from other lawyers. So it's so funny when an attorney tells me, oh, I don't go to any of these bar things. I don't volunteer to be on these bar panels because it's just other lawyers. And then when I start working with them, I ask them, who were your eight biggest clients in the last year? And they list them. And, and I say, now, where did each of these clients come from? In many cases, they're all referred from other lawyers. And it's like they don't want to go hang out with lawyers, but all their business is coming from lawyers. It's like you need to get out and, and participate and volunteer in your community. Well, I, I hear that a lot. And I always give the example when I was a young lawyer, I was uh, elected to the young lawyers board and there were 17 lawyers on the board and I was the only criminal defense lawyer. And I look at those lawyers now. Uh, this was back in 1997. And those lawyers are all in leadership positions around town. Yeah. And, who, so, and, who, and who's the criminal defense lawyer that they know best? Exactly. And so I used to hear that all the time. Brian, why do you go to these things? Why do you want to hang out with a bunch of lawyers? And I say, well, these people don't do what I do and, and I don't do what they do. And, and someone's going to call me one day and someone's going to call them one day and they're going to go, you know what? I, there's a guy I spend a lot of time with and he seems like a really good lawyer. Why don't you give him a call? That's going to be a better referral than anybody who's pounding a keyboard on Google looking for the name of a lawyer. Well, and I, I worked with a, a uh, family law attorney, 
and all of his business for all practical purposes came from referrals from other lawyers. And he suddenly realized that why wasn't he developing more relationships? He never went to any of the young lawyer events because he wanted to get home and see his kids. And he wanted, he always had an excuse why he couldn't go develop any of his network. But once we uncovered that all of his business was coming from the criminal defense person or the, the corporate lawyer or the litigator who's you know, next door neighbor was getting divorced and they said, oh, call my friend. He realized that his whole life should have been developing relationships with lawyers. And, you know, he'd waited until he was in his late 30s to really grasp that. Well, and I think the problem today uh, and even when I started 20 years ago is that that type of a practice takes a long time to develop. And lawyers uh, as a bunch are impatient and they want to know the quickest way to business. And, and recently I've been telling the story. Last week I got a call from a lawyer who uh, needed my services. And he said, listen, before we talk about my issue, I just want to tell you that I called three different lawyers and they all gave me your name. Yep. And my first thought to myself was that took a long time to, to have that type of practice took a long time. And, I, and I'm proud to be able to have that. And that's why I encourage lawyers. Uh, the Internet's important. You should definitely be marketing yourself uh, when it comes to the Internet. But there is better ways to develop stronger relationships well, and one of the things you said earlier was that, you know, you were talking about a lot of lawyers think, I'm just going to do the work. If I do good work, the work will find me. But, you know, doing good work is just the ticket to the game because everybody should be doing good work. And in today's Internet world, if you're not representing your clients well, people are going to know. The other lawyers are going to know. It's not going to be a secret if you're, if you're a crummy lawyer. And so doing good work just gets you a seat at the table. That's why all of this other stuff, this being entrepreneurial, this looking for ways to develop business, this networking and putting yourself into the community and using social media, that's why I believe all these things are so important. Right. Correct. So let's say, and, and again, you know, lawyering is just a services business, so maybe someone's listening who's in a different industry, but if somebody wants to start their own practice, whether it's a lawyer, an accountant, uh, a speaker like I am, or a consultant, what advice do you have for someone who is going to go start their own thing? The first thing I would tell anybody is to be flexible, and I need to be careful in giving that advice because on the other side, I tell lawyers, don't do anything that you don't know. Uh, in terms of the law. If you are a prosecutor and you're starting your own practice, I would not start doing estate planning or divorce work. Uh, obviously, you're going to go into a little bit of the criminal world in terms of defending people who are charged with crimes. Uh, in that realm, I'm saying be flexible. Don't be you know, too egotistical not to do the small stuff. The traffic tickets, the suspended license cases. I know you were prosecutor for 10 years and you did murder cases, but you know now you're trying to build relationships. And when you go and you, you handle a traffic ticket for somebody who's never been in trouble before and you win their traffic ticket, uh, according to them, you're the greatest lawyer they've ever met. And they will refer you business for the rest of your life. So my first tip to anybody starting a practice is be flexible in the type of work you do as long as it's something you're competent in doing. You know, that is really good advice because a lot of times, like in my world, people want to become a speaker. And I say, what do you want to speak about? And they say, well, anything. And it's like, well, well, no, no, you have to speak on something where, you know, you're an expert and where you're knowledgeable. And I think people do get themselves into trouble if they stray too far. That being said, I started off thinking I was going to start my business just working with law firms or 50% of my work with law firms. But I launched my business in April of 2009 when the recession hit and all services business pulled back on development. 
So there were no partner meetings where they were bringing in outside speakers. So I had to be flexible and realize that, you know, what I thought was going to be a practice of, of training lawyers had to be a practice of speaking and training wherever there was an audience who wanted to have me. And it served me well in the fact that I was flexible and was able to go to tech and to some sectors where they still, you know, were working. But at the same time, I stuck to the topics that I knew and where I could provide value. And, and I'm going to take a leap and think that when that started happening to you, you probably were a little, uh, I guess, in a legal term, freaked out because you thought, wait a second, this isn't what I planned. And, and I did the same thing. I, I said, I'm going to be a criminal defense lawyer my entire career. And then 13 years ago, I started doing some lawyer representation, which has now grown to 75% of my practice. And at the time it was growing, I was saying to myself, wait a second, this wasn't what I planned to do, but I actually like doing it. So in terms of being flexible, the other thing I will say, and I, I think you've kind of made the point is that when you start getting other work and you're enjoying it and you know what you're doing, don't be afraid to say to yourself, hey, this is okay. This isn't what I planned, but it's working. I'm making money. I'm happy. I like the client. So I'm going to continue growing this part of my practice. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I do a lot of work now as a master of ceremonies. And the first time somebody asked me, could you be the master of ceremonies for, for our event? I actually told them, no, I do keynotes. And then later I was like, well, wait a minute, I could do the master of ceremonies thing, but I literally turned down the business the first time someone asked me for it. Now I look back going, well, that was kind of silly. Right. The first lawyer who asked me to represent him, I'll never forget the conversation. I said, I don't do that. And he said, no, well, you're going to do it now. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> so Brian, you have written a book that is called The Practice, and it talks about the brutal truths of lawyers and, and lawyering. So tell me a little bit about the book and what led you to write a book. Well, I, uh, as you know, I've been blogging for about 10 years now, and uh, somebody from the American Bar Association called and said uh, about two and a half years ago, we, we've read some of your stuff. We like it. Uh, we'd like you to do a book. And I said, okay. And I uh, signed a contract with them and, and over a two-year period put it together. And it's basically a compilation of some, some new stuff, some old stuff. And it puts together a bunch of chapters starting with what type of lawyer you want to be. And it goes into money and marketing and social media. And if you're not happy in the practice. And the overwhelming message of the book is that regardless of everything you're hearing all over the place about how to build a practice, there are still fundamental ways, relationship building, handshakes, face-to-face -face things that will always be there regardless of whether you can talk to somebody on Skype or friend somebody on Facebook. And don't ever think that the only way to build a practice is to make sure that you're completely up to date with every social media platform and all the tech that's out there. Right. Well, because it's a relationship business and relationships are more than a like, a link, a share or a follow. It really does come down to that human to human connection. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I'm disturbed and, and I've made this clear when I've spoken to bar associations that I think that message is getting lost. And I think that lawyers are being taught more and more. Uh, listen, you graduate law school, get your Twitter account, get your Facebook account, get your iPad and go to work. And nobody is being told, listen, you need to get mentors. You need to sit down with lawyers who are more experienced with you. Stop thinking that they're, you know, in the stone ages and learn from them because eventually they're going to retire and they're going to be looking for lawyers to send their business to. And, and you may be that lawyer. So what has been, I, I looked online about your book and read a couple of the reviews and you're getting fabulous reviews. And a friend of mine is a young lawyer in, in the criminal defense space. And he, um, asked me for some advice and I told him to read your book. And the other day he sent me both a, a picture of the book where I was actually quoted, which made me laugh because I hadn't seen that. He took a picture of the page and said, hey, you didn't tell me that you were in the book. And I was like, I, I didn't necessarily know that. 
that. But uh, the second thing that he put was how great the book was in spelling out the basics of what he needed to do as a young attorney. And uh, a lot of the reviews that were online were the same thing that said, this is the book you need if, if you're looking to build a practice. So what has been sort of the best feedback that you've gotten about the book? What's really impacting people? What's impacting people is uh, this is a message we're not hearing. I have gotten uh, two-page letters from people, uh, lengthy emails from people saying, you know, thank you for writing this because everything else I'm reading seems to be uh, that there is a, a new way of building a practice. And you've basically said, listen, uh, yes, those things are great and you should be on the Internet and you should have all the tech. But if you really want to build a wonderful practice with great relationships, you've got to think about it in a different way other than you know, how many hits you're getting on your website. It's funny because I talk to lawyers and I say, hey, how's your practice going? And sometimes I'll hear, oh, we're getting a lot of hits on our website. And I don't even know where to go with that conversation because, <laughs> you know, I want to say, well, what does that mean to you? But, you know, of course, I don't want to get into it with people and, and offend them that way. But I, I think the, the biggest feedback I'm getting from people is thank you for letting us know that uh, there is still a traditional way to build a practice that is still functional and can build something for us that will make us happy. Uh, we can make the money that we want to make and we don't have to be tied into the, our computers 24 hours a day. So I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So your book might be, the answer might be the book, but what's the coolest thing you're doing in your practice in 2015? Uh, the coolest thing I'm doing in my practice is talking to people that disagree with me. Uh, I was recently invited to speak to a group who flat out said, we've read this book it's everything we're against. Uh, we're sending you a check to come talk to us. Uh, and, and I thought that was great. So, so the coolest thing I'm doing this year besides practicing law, which I still enjoy after 20 years, is talking about not necessarily the book itself, but the message that's in the book, which is, listen, um, stop convincing young lawyers that the only way they're going to build a practice is with a laptop because that's not the way it's going to happen uh, in in the best form for the long term. Well, I'm excited to hear that that you're getting positive response to that because you know that's the same thing that that I try to teach both lawyers and others that it really you know these tools are great and the problem is we've spent so much time focused on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and blogging and all these other you know things that fall under that big umbrella of social media tools that we forget that they're just a tool. You know, going to your local Chamber of Commerce happy hour, the happy hour itself isn't a magic thing that lets you meet people. It's a tool that puts you in the same room, just like a lot of these social media tools are the tool that lets you find people. Now, you and I met through our blogs and through Twitter and through all this, but, you know, where I really think that our friendship grew was in the last year when I actually sat down across the table from you, I had a much better understanding of who Brian is and, and what makes you tick, even though I'd known of you for several years, you know, after I was in Miami last year, I considered you a friend. And so I think we have to remember that that element of it is still very, very important. And I think you're right. If people are leaving that out, they're doing a huge disservice. Well, I think it's the same thing in offline. I mean, if you go to a cocktail hour and someone hands you a business card, what does that mean? <laughs> I, I, I don't, you know, know what the next step is. So to me, it's the same thing as getting a friend on Facebook or getting someone to follow you on Twitter. In the end, if it's not developing into a real relationship, then all it is is a numbers game. And in the end, you're going to be unhappy because you're going to say, listen, 
I've got, you know, 10,000 followers here and 20,000 friends and I've got 8,000 business cards on my desk and I'm not getting any business. Well, because you're not taking that next step to develop the relationship. I find in sort of just dealing with all of this stuff out there that that's the problem is people do all these things and they don't see the instant results or even, you know, long-term results. And then they get frustrated and say, none of that works. And then, you know, some other group puts out the outlier, the one person who did one tweet and found the billion dollar, you know, case, you know, they hold it out as look, that happened for Bobby. And it's like, well, Bobby's the outlier. Where are the real meat and potatoes people building their practices? And, le and let's focus on that. And I think that's what you really try to take people back to is back to the basics. Yeah, it's all it's all about relationships. And no matter what happens and whether we start wearing computers on our eyeballs or whatever, uh, the person who's going to get the greatest business is going to be from someone who says, you need to hire that person. So, Brian, we could talk about you and your practice and your book all day long because you're cool and you're doing interesting stuff. But I think some of the best entrepreneurs are observers. So who do you observe out there who's doing something that you think, wow, they're really crushing it? It's interesting because I, I wrote about the person in the book, but I didn't mention him. There's a, a friend of mine who owns a dry cleaning business. I've learned so much from him, which is something I tell people is, you know, even when you're a lawyer, you should learn from people who are non-lawyers. Uh, and, and dry cleaning is pretty simple. You drop off your clothes and they clean them and you pick them up, but he does a pickup and delivery business. Uh, and not only that, he makes sure he gets to know all of his clients and what they want and what they need. Uh, and he's very involved in the people who patronize his business and is very accommodating to everybody. He's just all in the business and people don't just go to him because he does good work. They, they just love the concept of his business. He, he offers what he calls free smiles and free hugs. <laughs> and I watch what he does. And one of the things he taught me that I'll never forget when I said to him, because you know how dry cleaning is, I said, how do you deal with problems? And he said, I love problems because problems are the only way that I get a loyal customer. You will never know if a customer is loyal to you until they have a problem. And I never forgot that. And since that day, I've been following his business and learning from him and trying to tell people, don't look at other lawyers in business. Look at other business people who are successful and find out what they're doing because you can do some of those things as a lawyer. That is such great advice because, you know, one of the problems that I find with attorneys, but it happens with other people, other industries as well, is it's like small kids playing soccer. If you've ever been out with children who are four and five years old on a soccer field, what happens is one of them kicks the ball to the left and everybody on the field runs to the left. Somebody kicks the ball to the right. Everybody runs to the right. And we tend to find that in industries is someone does something for marketing and nobody goes and checks to see is it working but instead everybody just follows them and your advice of looking outside of your own industry to see what's really working for people and then finding a way to incorporate that back in I think is really stellar advice although you did say your dry cleaner has a policy of free hugs I don't know if many people want to hug their lawyer well th that's <laughs> true and uh, you know I, I haven't thought of marketing a free hug although I, I do <laughs> hug a lot of people who are who are upset about things so in addition to observing I find the best entrepreneurs find a way to give back what do you do to give back to the greater good for your community, for your profession, etc. Well, I've always been very involved in the community in a lot of charity uh, events, and I've been on boards, and, and some of those boards I've I've left. But one of the things that I've been doing in the last few years is is just giving of my time to young lawyers, and not just one on one, which I find to be very beneficial for me, but in going to speak to local. Uh, groups of lawyers, uh, lawyers who have just started their own practices, young lawyers just out of law school, and, and just offering my time to express to them, listen, I'm a guy who's been doing this a long time, 
And, you know, here's what I can tell you about what I've learned, the good, the bad, the ugly about the legal field. And by the way, you know, here's my number. Please email me, call me, let me know what you're doing. It's a great way for me to develop relationships and keep in touch with the new generation of lawyers. And it's something I really enjoy doing. Well, Brian, thank you for all that you do for, for, for people in your community and for the legal industry. And I do know that you have a national reputation because when I chat with lawyers around the country who are involved in social media, sometimes I'll bring up the fact that we're friends and everybody knows who you are. Sometimes they think you're a little opinionated, but in a good way. But everybody does know who you are. So I think you've done a great job of building your practice, not only in Miami, but beyond. Well, thank you. So thank you very much for being a guest on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. If people wanted to find out more about you, about your practice, or how can they get your book, how do they find you? Well, there's two ways to get the book. They can go to the American Bar Association Books website, and uh, it's for sale there. It's not yet in digital form, which I've been asked about on an hourly basis. It will be soon. Uh, if people want a copy signed to them or a friend or a lawyer or a law student, they can call my office uh, 305-374-7850. Happy to sign a copy to somebody and uh, send it off. Excellent. Well, again, thank you very much for joining us here. And thank you to everybody for tuning in and listening. I really appreciate the time that you put in to listen to these episodes. If this is the first episode you've listened to, I hope you'll go back and listen to some more and that you'll return because we'll be back in a couple of days with a new show here at Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. In the meantime, Go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.